The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. What's your take on that, Kobe or LeBron? Uh, well, my favorite player was LeBron growing up. But, uh, I mean, he does have a point. You know, championships do mean a lot. But uh, it's tough. I'm a Laker. You know, I want to go with Kobe, but I've been saying LeBron my whole, whole life. So I'm going to go with LeBron. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where although the world could end at any given moment, either by mass civil war stateside or via nuclear means across the sea, we are for now here still podcasting in the summer, in August. That's dedication. But yeah, so far we haven't been nuked yet, and I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Alan Riley, unfortunately, is not here with us. He may pop up a little later down the line in this episode, but uh, no assurances there. But anyways, Tommy, we're still in the summer. It's August. How's your summer been going and anything eventful happened to you recently? The summer's been going well. Um, really bored with the lack of basketball out there right now and really sports in general. It's pretty much baseball. And if you're not a baseball fan, there's not a whole lot to watch. There's a uh, Game of Thrones. There's Game of Thrones. So- it's been pretty lit, right? It's been lit. So like <laughs> waiting for Game of Thrones every Sunday is is what's keeping me going. And Rick and Morty late on Sunday night is, <laughs> is also keeping me going. But yeah, uh, besides that, not a whole lot. You recently had an encounter, though, that maybe made your summer a little more interesting. Do you want to tell our audience about it? I did have an encounter. Um, I was at dinner uh, last Friday night at a restaurant in Redondo Beach. And uh, all of a sudden I look up. And I see Larry Nance Jr. sitting at the table right (laughs) next to us. And I was like, oh, my God. It's just like, it's funny because, like, 
clearly it just kind of shows you what the current state of LA is, right? In terms of like basketball fans, because not one person in that restaurant recognized who this guy was. And like, clearly the waiter had no idea who this guy was. And, and, uh, so he was just having like dinner, um, with his girlfriend, I believe. And, um, and his girlfriend is, uh, not bad looking. She is not, not hard on the eyes, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like right when we were leaving, we stood up and I looked over cause he was sitting like literally right next to us. So he, I stood up and looked over and his girlfriend had left the table so I just sort of like leaned in and I was like, hey, Larry, I just want to let you know I'm a huge Lakers fan and I think you guys are going to have a, a great year. And he was like, thanks, I appreciate it. I think so, too. So <laughs> it was pretty chill, you know what I mean? It's just like a guy enjoying his Friday night. So I didn't want to like engage him in a conversation. Not that he would want to be like engaged in a conversation, but I just felt like I should say something. And and yeah, that was that was about it. Well done, man. More importantly, though, you are our source. What was his? Do you know what he ate for dinner? Uh, no, I wasn't like looking over there really, <laughs> but um, I th- I want to say at like some point I was like getting, I was like coming back from the bathroom or something, and as I was I was sitting down, I couldn't really see him that you know what I mean. Like I wasn't facing him, but I want to say he was eating like crab legs or something. Nice, just like. Larry Nance would do. <laughs> it would have been funny if you had gone up to him and or gone up to their table and not asked Larry Nance for a picture, but asked to have a picture with his girlfriend. And that would have exacerbated the notion that nobody knows who Larry Nance is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, cool. Yeah, that's great. Uh, for me, with regards to summer, I just came back from process land slash Philadelphia. I usually go once every year to visit my relatives. They have a menagerie of pets, two dogs and four cats, believe it or not. Um, and then I also got to, for the first time, uh, visit Boston for about two or three days, took a train for the first time, felt like Harry Potter. That was really cool. Have you been to Boston? Uh, yeah, I have been to Boston. I'm actually going back um, over oh, Labor nice. Day weekend. How did how did you like the city? Because you know, regardless of the crappy sports teams that are there, I really like the city. It was like very pretty. Loved the architecture and the history and the, and the Charles River that runs through it. So not not bad. What, what did you think? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I mean, I went during the summer, so well, which is what you did. So I, yeah. I can imagine it's like kind of it's pretty humid during the summer. Um, not I like wouldn't want to live there or anything, but I've heard it's like, and I had the same impression as you. Like I, I really loved it. I thought it was great. The history was amazing there. I don't know if you got a chance. To, I don't know if you said this already. If you got a chance to go to a game at Fenway Park, but that park is insane, and it's yeah. it's it, yeah, it's it's like really cool on the inside, but it's it's literally right in the city, so it's like surrounded by bars and restaurants and all kinds of fun stuff to do. Um, yeah, I was able to tour the outside because there's pretty much like a walkway that you can walk a path along Fenway Park. So that was exactly. Cool. Yeah. yeah, so it's it is a cool city, but I've heard from people who are from there who have lived there that you don't really know what Boston is until you experience a winter out there. So uh, <laughs> I've heard yeah. it's it's a it's a bit tougher during that time, which I guess can be expected. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think I was lucky because. Uh, when I came, it had just rained, so the weather was a little cooler because of the rain. And I think the coolest part about Boston for me was I got to tour, I don't know if you were able to do this, but I got to go to the Cambridge area and tour the MIT campus, which has some really cool architectural buildings and whatnot. Yeah. And in that area, there's actually, I think it's they just recently uh, opened it up, but there's like an underground slash secret barcade. 
that's located at an eatery by day, but at night, the way you enter the barcade is through what looks like a kitchen entrance. And then once you enter through those doors, it's like a full on like old school arcade with like Pac-Man, Street Fighter, Capcom stuff and some other cool games to play. So that was pretty dope. But yeah, that's been our summer. It's uh, pretty dry on the Lakers front, but the schedule just got released and we'll quickly go over that. Some other quick Lakers roster roundout notes and we'll also get to our main segment today, which is basically going to cover why we think the summer 2018 plan could actually work. If this superstar max plan were ever to work, why 2018 would be the summer. But before we get to that, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more subliminal Snapchat lip sync videos and tweets LeBron James will make this entire year, all hinting at his inevitable departure for Los Angeles. Uh, most recently, him stating to Jamal Crawford on Twitter that he's ready to play some pickup ball when he comes back home to LA as well as him wishing Magic Johnson a happy birthday and claiming him as one of the main reasons for his basketball existence. And who can forget him liking a Lonzo Ball video of Lonzo Ball admitting that LeBron, not Kobe, is his favorite player ever. So stay woke, am I right? (laughs) Um, Speaking of rating and reviews, today we have, wow, LeBron James to read our review. And Tommy Alexander, our impressionist extraordinaire, will read that review. So LeBron James, take it away. <clears throat> this review is entitled Possibly Maybe by Shrugs McGee. The best Lakers podcast ever. Asterisk. Honorable mention to Lakers Film Room. <laughs> wow. Cool. Uh, well... Hey, we just met you, and this is crazy. We're the best Lakers podcast, possibly, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was good, dude. Yeah, so thank you, Tommy. Thank you, LeBron James. Thank you, Shrugs McGee. Tommy, what went into your channeling of the great LeBron James? Well, I was thinking about a guy who, you know, I try to, I'm I'm like a method actor when it comes to the reading (laughs) these reviews, so I, I tried to put myself into the mindset of a man who was preparing himself to kind of coast for a season uh, because he knows he's coming to L.A. next year. And that's all that's on his mind right now. Great, because you were 100% on point in your method acting. So thank you. So yeah, please rate and review us on iTunes and help us get to 200 ratings and reviews before next season starts. We're at 185 so far, so just a little more ways to go. Uh, with regards to other ways to support the podcast, please also consider donating to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Uh, the link is shown in our about description section of our Twitter page. Even a dollar helps and we have some cool extra perks and privileges we're trying to dole out for those listeners who are generous enough to donate. But yeah, otherwise, if you don't want to do that, rating and review is the best way to show support. All right, with all that house cleaning out of the way, Lakers news time. Um, First things first, the schedule got released. Some initial tidbits include there are less back-to-backs this season. The Lakers have 13 back-to-backs, which are down from 16 last season. Obviously, because the season is starting out earlier, we have a a stretched-out season that has more rest days in between. We're starting now on October 19th, which is pretty much like 
a week a week or two before the normal season starts on any other year before this one. The Lakers don't have any stretches of four games and five nights. They had one of those last year. Uh, the Lakers' longest road game stretch is only five games, and it's against a pretty easy crop of teams. There's uh, Chicago, Orlando, Toronto, Brooklyn, OKC, so not a heavy-hitting road trip. So, yeah, Tommy, I, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to glance through the uh, regular season schedule for the Lakers. Uh, any thoughts, and how do you think... Uh, does, do you think like the the schedule will help the Lakers or anything like that, or too too early to tell? Yeah, I think it's it's always too early to tell. I, I do think that it's nice for at least the first half, um, or I guess the first half month of the season. Uh, we have a lot of home games, so I think that'll be good for our young guys. Uh, I think we have twice as many home games from like the beginning of the season until you know beginning of November as we do road games. So. When you have a young team, I guess that's that, that's always helpful. Um, we have more veterans this year than we have had in previous years, so I'm not as concerned about some of the road stretches. But, but like you said, the big thing that stood out to me, um, not only do the Lakers not have any four games and five night stretches, but no teams have that. Um, as this is like the first time, I think, ever that, that the NBA has been able to pull this off. Uh so that's, or at least in 82 game, as long as they've been do, doing 82 games. So that's, that's really great. And uh, more so than the back to backs, people always say it's the four games and five nights that really lead to the injuries and the, uh, you know, the fatigue over time. So hopefully that helps. And besides that, it's, it's hard to say, because I mean, at this point, we don't know, are we going to be the second worst team in the NBA? Or are we going to be like a 35 win team? It's, it's hard to say. Uh, where we're going to land. So in that sense, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to say like which stretches are more difficult than others. The only thing I noticed really was looking around Christmas time. Cause I'm always interested in who we're playing on Christmas mm-hmm. and our schedule is like fairly brutal in that stretch from like the week before Christmas through like new year's day. Um, we have a lot of tough matchups. We play like the Timberwolves twice. We're going to be good this year with obviously with towns and Jimmy Butler we play the Warriors twice. We play the Rockets twice. Um, and we play the Cavs, I think, maybe a little bit before that stretch. But it, it's like that two weeks, uh, you know, two weeks before New Year's time is, is going to be um pretty rough stretch for us. So hopefully we have done okay leading up to that point so that where we don't become com- completely demoralized around that time. Right, so not going to be too festive, potentially. But I was looking at the start of the Lakers um, season, and the first 10 games are actually pretty decent in terms of if we want to stay competitive. So I'll list them out real quickly. And in the first 10 games, 7 of those 10 are at home. So if we want to get off to a good stretch and good start, the beginning is the time to do it. It's versus LAC, the Clippers, like we usually do, at Phoenix, versus New Orleans, versus Washington, versus Toronto, at Utah, who they don't have Gordon Hayward anymore, and they're trying to acclimate Ricky Rubio, versus Detroit, at Portland, versus Brooklyn, versus Memphis. So looking at that quick stretch, Clippers, Phoenix, New Orleans, Washington, Toronto, Utah, Detroit, Portland, Brooklyn, Memphis, there are no San Antonio Spurs, no Golden State Warriors, no Rockets, no Cavs, no Boston in that stretch at all. So I mean, I'm looking at this right now and I'm saying at the worst, maybe we go 10 and 0. <laughs> at the worst, we go 10 and 0. 
Realistically, I think five and five, you know? And if we do end up... No, ten and zero, dude, come on. Be... All right, I'm not calling ten and zero, but I think we can go... We got to go higher than 500 in that in that kind of stretch, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say, I mean, at worst case scenario, maybe 500. And then best case scenario, maybe we go seven and three, six and four. That would be pretty good. Seven and three, it would be my best case scenario, given yeah. those teams you listed. Just because, like... Some of those games are a little bit harder than others, but like the Clippers are not, I mean, they're still a playoff team, right? But we have that game at home. It's the first game of the season. Like, I feel like we always, not always always win win that that game. game. We tend to win those types of games. Like we beat the Clippers two years ago or three years ago at home in the opening game. We beat them last year on Christmas at home. Um, They don't have Chris Paul uh, anymore, so... I'm not saying we're going to easily beat them. I'm just saying we. I think we have a legit shot there, um, and that's really like, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of Eastern Conference playoff teams, but at least we have those games as home games. So, yeah, the only real ones that pose a potential roadblock would be Washington and Toronto, but even those are at home, so you never know what happens there. And uh, there's a there's a bout in Portland, so maybe that one. But yeah, I mean, I, the most I mean, yeah, I guess I'll take away my ten and zero talk because Portland on the road <laughs> is like a guaranteed loss. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, I think for the most part, a lot of these are like at the worst sixty forty games or forty sixty games against the Lakers. So if they just if they get out of the gate rolling like they did in preseason, you're right. Maybe a seven and three start isn't that ridiculous. So that would be great. Uh, yeah, with that said, I don't think there's anything else with regards to this regular season schedule that we can really delve into too deeply. Um, I am looking forward to the Minnesota game on Christmas Day. Uh, another game of note would be November 15th, Lakers Sixers. So that one's filled with star power. Lonzo Ball versus Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons versus Brandon Ingram, Joel Embiid, all the trash talk he's been talking. So that should be a fun game. You know, the trust the process core versus flash the progress, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Obviously, when the Lakers face Brooklyn, which is the ninth game of the season, D'Angelo Russell coming back to Staples Center, ayo, uh, that should, that should be interesting Ayo. and something of note for Lakers fans to watch. And, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So moving on from the schedule, last thing I wanted to touch upon was the Lakers pretty much rounding out their roster by signing some camp invites. The Lakers, obviously, since we last talked, Signed Tyler Ennis to a two-year deal, second year being partially guaranteed or even being a team option. Uh, Vander Blue got picked up with a partial guarantee. And then last week, we got camp invites for Briante Weber, who's from VCU, Steven Zimmerman, and uh, VJ Beecham. Caruso obviously has one of the two-way contracts that the Lakers can dole out this season. So that essentially leaves Briante Weber, Zimmerman, Beecham, and Blue playing for that last one. So it's also conceivable that one of them actually just makes the team on a guaranteed deal. That might be Vander Blue. But uh, yeah, this year, a team can carry up to 17 total players with two of those being the two ways, Caruso having one of them. So given that, do you have any thoughts on any of the guys we picked up? Weber, Zimmerman, or Beecham? Weber, Zimmerman, or Beecham. So, I mean, uh, there, there were some... Okay. <laughs> there were some there were some talks when we picked up Weber about how he's not the same player that he was. Uh, if people remembered the name Briante Weber, he was one of the uh, he was like I don't know if you call the appropriate term would be the anchor or like the point of attack player 
in Shaka Smart's like VCU Havoc defense that he used to run. And this defense was obviously like devastating and it created a lot of, uh, VCU is a mid-major, but they created a lot of problems for other teams in the, uh, in the tournament because this pressure scheme that they had defensively was, was so, um, was so lethal. And Briante Weber was kind of like the focal point of that. Um, he's an extremely quick, small guard. That being said, he blew out his knee and since then, allegedly, I mean, I don't know. I understand that people are getting these, this information um, from like statistical databases or whatever, but I have not seen him play. And I think it's been proven a few times um, over the course of us doing these these shows that defensive analytic metrics are really important, just like any analytic metrics. But of all metrics, defensive metrics are the most you know, susceptible to not being, we don't fully understand them, I guess. And a lot of, and there's so many contextual uh, aspects at work here because defense has evolved into such a team game, given the, you know, there's no um, teams can, in the NBA can now play like semi zones. Um, They got rid of the, you know, the old school Shaq, Shaq defense where you can't double team off the ball. Like obviously a lot has changed in the last decade or decade and a half so a lot of defensive metrics we don't totally understand so anyway this is all a long, long-winded way of saying i hope briante weber is at, at least remotely close to that player that i remember him being in college and i know in the d league he put up a lot of steals um he was on like a crazy steal rate in college actually like one of the top before he blew out his acl or whatever so exactly and he played like almost i mean he played he was like a four-year player so um, he, he had a good amount of run in college. It's not like he just did it for like a, a few months and then blew out his knee. Um, so if he, I'm not saying this dude is an NBA player. I'm not saying he's up for sure a lock to get our second uh, two-way contract. I'm just saying that I like the that type of move um, from a front office standpoint to get a guy in who you already know you're coming into summer, uh, you're coming into camp with only one guaranteed spot, which for all of these guys, you're likely to not give any of these guys a guaranteed spot. You're only coming in with one two-way spot. By no means a guarantee you're going to give any way one of these guys a two-way spot. So why not bring in some guys who you know are going to like up the ante a little bit in practice? Like Briante Weber, regardless of what his metrics show, that guy is going to be hounding people in practice. You already have KCP. You have Ingram, who's looks like he's going to be an approved defender. You have Josh Hart. Um, you have, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some, uh, Caruso. You're, you're going to have several other guys in camp who are going to raise the defensive intensity. And you want to set the tone from day one of practice. This is how you're going to have to play. You know, this is the NBA. This is, if, if guys who aren't even making the team play like this defensively, that's how you have to play as well. And I think that's, it's just good to get guys in like that who are going to be able to set that kind of tone. Because, look, just to be totally honest, whoever we give the second two-way contract to is such a crapshoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a crapshoot in terms of you have no idea if this person is going to pan out. You know what I mean? It, it could be somebody who pans out and you look really smart. Chances are it's going to be a guy who spends 90% of his time in the D-League and he only gets called up at like the very end of like the garbage season after it's been thrown away and like, all right, let's just throw him a bone and let him get some NBA run here. But 
why not bring in these guys with these extra camp spots? Because you could bring up to 20 guys into camp and just have a guy who can raise the energy level like that. And that's why I like the Briante Weber um, signing. Not, I don't know, again, not to say he's going to be the guy to make the team. And uh, don't know anything about Zimmerman. And my only comment on Beecham is whenever I play the NBA 2K franchise mode, and I download, you know how you can like download the next year's rookie class or whatever that people mm-hmm. have created. Whenever I download the class, of course, I always win the championship with the Lakers. So I'm always, or like come close. So I'm always picking near the end of the first round. So I somehow always end up with VJ Beecham like every time <laughs> I do this because he's like kind of a long wing who can shoot threes. So yeah. that's all, that's literally that, the extent of my knowledge about him. So, well, you know, that may be, uh, prophetic in a sense so if he makes if he ends up making that the team with that two-way contract that'll be hilarious but I think like you said on Briante Weber because we lost David Nwaba it doesn't hurt to get another sort of player who potentially could fit that mold regardless of whether or not he's lost a step although I've seen videos of him like windmilling dunks right now presently so yeah yeah he he could eventually round out back to form um Steven Zimmerman I it's like a meh pick to me he is seven foot he has this weird thing with his right elbow, though, where he can't extend it fully. Look it up on YouTube or whatever. Yeah, it's I remember bizarre. That. But he, to me, is like a more athletic Troy Murphy, like a poor man's Troy Murphy. I think what they're trying to do with Zimmerman is kind of make him a TJ Leaf, Thomas Welsh kind of proxy for Lonzo Ball at the very least in training camp. So he has another big that he can kind of throw to who can hit like a mid-range jump shot because he can shoot threes and hit hit, hit a mid-range, mid-range jump shot. So I'm guessing that's why they have Steven Zimmerman on the on the roster. I don't think he's going to make it given our glut at center and power forward. So I, And my only other thought of Zimmerman was part of the reason teams like to bring in 20 uh, is so that they can run five, uh, four teams of five men. So we currently have three seven-footers on the roster, uh, Brooke Lopez, Zubats, and Thomas Bryant. I'm not missing anybody, right? And then so nope. my only thought was maybe they want to bring Zimmerman as like another, literally as just like a big body to put as like a center for that fourth team. Yeah, for sure. And then actually VJ Beecham, even though you only know him as your random 2K edition, I, I watched some tape on him. I actually really, really like him. He is a potential 3 and D candidate, and you can never be short of those types of guys. He shot 40% from 3 at Notre Dame, 42% off screen, nearly 50% on uncontested catch and shoots. Um, he didn't have a great summer league, but he definitely has the tools to be a very good 3 and D wing. If you watch his tape, he is very, very long, a uh, good size wing. Um, to me, at the very worst case scenario, he reminds me a little bit of Devin Ebanks, who, you know, we all had high potential for, and he showed Three some banks. flashes. Three banks. He, he just uh, didn't fully put it together for whatever reason. But if you get a guy like VJ Beecham to kind of, you know, just be another wing prospect that can take over once Corey Brewer leaves, which he is going to leave, um, that would not hurt at all. So I'm actually hoping VJ Beecham gets the two-way spot. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, so given that, do you think, because right now, you know, I listed out the roster, right now, not including Caruso and uh, Vander Blue, because Caruso has a two-way contract, our roster now stands at 14. We can have 15 guaranteed players, 17 total. Um, given that Caruso has one two-way, and then we can position that second two-way slot for either Blue, Briante, Zimmerman, or VJ, 
What do you think the Lakers do with that last guaranteed slot? Do you think one of those could potentially go to a Vander Blue and then VJ Leaf gets the second two-way slot? Or do you think the Lakers will actually use that last guaranteed slot on another random veteran who can mentor the guys like a Leandro Barbosa, Jason Terry, just another random veteran they can throw in there? Or do you think they're just going to go into the season with some flexibility? Uh, so I think those are all those points are all well taken. I think really any of those two, to be honest, could, could happen. I mean, what I think is most likely is one of these one of these guys that they've brought in, and I think it's most likely going to be Beecham or Vander Blue, is going to get that second two-way spot. Um, I think it's probably more likely to be Beecham, just because every team needs wing depth nowadays, and we kind of have a good amount of guards, especially like, I don't really see a need for another undersized shooting guard. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's that's most likely. In terms of the guaranteed spot, I think it's more likely... Well, okay, how about this? I think it's most likely that spot goes to nobody and they just keep it open um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one is that if they want to trade... or if they're Not if they want to. If they're able to trade Luel Dang at some point during the season, which I acknowledge is a very extremely low, probably close to nil likelihood, but if they're able to, they're going to have to take back multiple contracts, um, multiple expiring contracts to, to make that work. Right. Um, if they want to trade Jordan Clarkson even, that might require multiple contracts coming back because he makes like $12 million and... And I, you know, who knows what you're going to get in terms of offers coming back. So that might be multiple players coming back. So I, I think it's they're in kind of a situation where they can play a little bit of a wait and see game and and see like, okay, if if the first couple weeks of the season go by and we really really need an extra guard mentor for Lonzo, we'll go out and sign a Leandro Barbosa or something like that. But I think for now, that's most likely is that they just keep it open. Second most likely is that they. Um, yeah, is that they give it to one of these vets that I just mentioned. And I think it's very unlikely they just fully guarantee Vanderblue or, or, or Beecham or anybody like that. Right. They would really have to like blow out during, you know, training camp or exactly. season. But, you know, actually, now that you mentioned, I, I think I agree with you too, just bringing up that point that the Lakers this year have intent to make moves like 100%. And given that intent, you do need an open roster slot to make that to make that a viable option so that you don't have to be scrambling at the last second if you do find a deal, you know? So I do agree with you that the most likely scenario is to keep that flexible slot. And before you brought that up, I wasn't thinking about, oh yeah, you know, trade possibilities. You're probably going to have to take back um, multiple players. So, you know, keeping that in mind, yeah, I think we're going to go into the season with 14 guaranteed contracts and two two-way players that we could bring up whenever we want to. So, yeah, with that said, that is the Lakers uh, offseason. And I guess if you had to, what what grade would you give the Lakers? I think for me, obviously, the the Brooklyn thing, and we're going to get, get into it, obviously, because this episode is going to be entitled Why 2018 Will Work. But there's still a possibility that it doesn't work. And given the Brooke Lopez, D'Angelo Russell deal... I'm hesitant to grade that. I almost see it as an incomplete. Um, But every move preceding that, given how rocky it started and how questionable uh, things were and how we were doubting the front office, 
the Lakers did as good as you could possibly expect with this offseason, I think, you know, outside of maybe getting Ian Clark, but there were extenuating circumstances to that. And Ian Clark seemed like he wanted a bigger role. Uh, New Orleans probably promised him that. Uh, and so I think I give the Lakers, you know, like an A minus, you know, the KCP thing came out of nowhere, but it came out of nowhere because the Lakers were patient. You know, uh, there were D- Derek Rose, Rajon Rondo talks. And for whatever reason, we lucked into not getting them regardless of what our intent was. And given the totality of the offseason, getting guys like Caruso in the summer league and then signing him up, I thought they had a great offseason draft included, obviously. So what about you? Yeah, I, I also thought it was great. I mean, I don't know if I'd you know put a letter on it, but maybe like a B plus or I, I thought it was actually much better than probably a lot of other people. I think we significantly improved the balance of our team. Um, we had to make some sacrifices, which I'm sure we'll discuss to get there. But we signed a shooting guard who, you know, if I don't know how he, I don't want to compare him directly to other players, but the guy can shoot threes and he can play really good defense. And those were two things we've been at, like praying for in a shooting guard pretty much, I don't know, for the last two, three years. So that was a huge upgrade. Brooke Lopez, I think, is a huge upgrade at center, although he, you know, I feel like Brooke Lopez is almost like the boring pick because yeah. he plays, he's so, he's like so solid but he plays like so slow and he's so slow uh, or seemingly slow, I guess is a better way of saying it. Cause I think he actually does play faster than it looks on, on the surface. Um, he's like a longer Brad Miller or something. Yeah. It just, so it feels weird to like get excited about something like that. But if anybody watched Laker film rooms, latest video on him, this guy's actually like much better than you might think. I mean, I thought that we were going to be, like the and we still might be, but not for fault for uh, fault of Brooke Lopez. Well, I thought we were going to be one of the like, if not the worst uh, pick and roll defense team in the entire NBA. Brooke Lopez just looks so slow defensively, but he's actually so smart. And despite his physical limitations, I think he uses a bit of his IQ to like make himself a passable pick and roll defender. He is like 51st percentile defending the pick and roll, which is not bad at all, dude. In my opinion, compared to how he looks, I was like, this guy's got to be like bottom 10% in the entire league defending pick and roll, but he's actually right at average defending pick and roll. He is a like well above average post defender and he is 14th in the NBA in block rate. So he's better than, I mean, not to to put it in these terms, because I know this isn't exactly what this is tracking, but you know, more than he would be the best shot blocker on more than half the teams in the NBA. So I, that's something to be excited about the young players. I really like, I think, yeah, overall we've, I think we've had a really great season and we've set ourselves up with a little bit of flexibility for 2018 that we didn't have when the summer started. Right, exactly. And, you know, like you said, I think Brooke Lopez's defensive analytics are pretty underrated, actually. Like, I think he almost mimics, like, Hassan Whiteside. So, yeah, it's pretty insane. You know, this is where, like, just looking at the eye test can be deceiving. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, so with that said, well done by the Lakers. And, yeah, we will turn it over now to our why 2018 two max superstar plan could actually work this time around. So catch us on the turn. Who's the GOAT, greatest of all time, MJ or Kobe? As a Laker, I'm going to say Kobe. Oh, oh, Kobe. Right, that's smart. He's a smart he's man. A smart <laughs> he knows he's going to see Kobe around the locker room on that side. All right, so the 2018 superstar plan 
we were belaboring this point at the beginning when the Brooke Lopez, D'Angelo Russell trade happened and be actually bemoaning it saying, we've done this before. This, what, what happens is we hold out for the superstar that never comes. We end up kicking the can down the road and we miss out on just solid prospects at cheaper prices because we hold out for the shiny toy that we're never, never able to actually secure. So I think that's where most of our exasperation was when the D'Angelo thing happened. But, you know, looking at it deeper and seeing the way the the market, the free agency market uh, kind of shook out this offseason, the Lakers are primed to be one of the very few teams next summer to have not only max cap space, but two max cap space slots because of the way that teams spent in the last two years and then also more... Um, more recently this offseason. So I kind of wanted to show you guys and I wanted to discuss how this season or this upcoming season and into summer 2018, the differences between what we have going on now versus 2014 and 2015 when we tried doing the Superstar Max plan. So if I could go into the time machine a little bit, Tommy, you remember the two Max plan of 2014, right? So Mitch is, yes, yes, you do, because Mitch continually kept telling us, don't worry, we have cap space coming. And so summer 2013, Dwight Howard unfortunately left the Lakers for the Rockets. That summer, all the Lakers would do, all the Lakers could do was use their exceptions to sign Chris Kamen and Nick Young. But on the other side of this was a two max cap space plan that Mitch continued to preach to us because Kobe's contract was expiring after the 2013-14 season. Now, Tommy, can you remind me what we were talking about with regards to Kobe's new contract in order to enact this two max plan? Wait, sorry, can you ask that one more time? Before, so... Kobe was on an expiring contract. And I think we had many discussions during that season before they randomly re-signed him as to what our plan was for this max scenario. So we had two max contract. We had two max bases just like we did now or do now. And um, all of a sudden, I want to say it was like the first couple of weeks of the season or... Was it after he got hurt? It was November. It was November. Like, he just came back from the Achilles injury, and the Lakers and Mitch, for some reason, decided to blindside us and tell us, we are re-signing Kobe for the max. At the time, we re-signed him to the most money that any NBA player could make, which was... 23 million exactly 48 million over two years but yeah it actually was not the max that he was uh, so that's the one way that genius rob palinga who is now our gm uh, that's how he and kobe uh very smartly framed it this was not the max that kobe was eligible for so actually he took a pay cut i think he took like a one and a half or two million dollar pay cut it was it was funny because at the time he took just enough of a pay cut to allow the Lakers to sign one other max player and still make him the number one top play, uh, paid player in the NBA. So it was sort of like killing two birds with one stone. But yeah, we, it was kind of like a bait and switch there a little bit because we were promised these two maxes. But we were not told that one of those maxes was in fact going to be used on Kobe Bryant. And I think a lot of our optimism at that time was, oh man, because we were all kind of gearing up for Kobe to just like, 
I don't know if we were expecting him to retire or what what we were actually expecting him to do. But at least take a pay cut. At least take a, some sort of pay cut. But we were all sort of gearing up for this idea that oh man, if we actually are able to woo two like legit maxes, Kobe might just sign for the minimum so he could try to win his sixth <laughs> championship. You know, in yeah. hindsight. It is laughable, you know what I mean? It's like, how the heck did we possibly think that was a possibility? I yeah, I don't know. I think it's because other players had done similar things that so we were like, all right, this guy's, kind of, I know he's the best, and he's like the best Laker of the last, you know, who knows, possibly ever, but he he is coming off this Achilles injury. He hasn't really, you know, there's no idea whether he's going to be the same or not, or he still seems like he wants to win. He doesn't want to leave the team. This gives him the opportunity to win, and also, you know, not put as much stress on his body and also stay on the Lakers. So it seemed like a no-brainer, but in fact, he ended up taking one of those max contracts. And <laughs> of course, that led to issues because, you know, I'm sure everybody, I definitely remember, I'm sure you remember, and maybe other people do at the time, Kobe actually responding to fans on like Twitter or Instagram about how they should, I don't know if he was on Instagram at that time, but definitely on Twitter or something at, at that time about how they should all learn how to do math because the even after his contract, they still have enough room to sign a second max player. Right. And, uh, which of course was not the point, right? Like maybe that appeased some people, but that wasn't the point. So we ended up, instead of having two max spots to pitch to free agents, we actually had, in my opinion, what was worse than even just having one max spot because we had only one max spot, but also one max spot plus you had to play next to second max spot Kobe, who was you knew if this guy's getting paid the max and is in his like twilight years of his career is going to be going like all out and still think that he's the man, which he did. I mean, we saw it, right? And and that's totally fine, but. And that's totally his prerogative, and I had, we had no problems with it in retrospect, or even at the time it was happening, really. But as in terms of trying to lure a second max player, you can see why like it would be hard to you know bring over the like any any respectable you know like decently talented max level player because who would want to come into that sort of situation right and then on top of it kobe had just tore his achilles and the the most perplexing part about giving him that contract is we literally didn't wait for him to play like a month into the season before we're like yup he's played two games let's sign him back up and i was like okay and so if i could jump in here and just talk about our situation before that contract got signed in Ju- during July 2013, the Lakers would have only had Steve Nash and Sacre's contract, shout out to Bobby Sacre, on the books as guaranteed Bobby contracts, Sacks. plus a bunch of cap holds, including Kobe's 30 million cap hold. But obviously, like you said, the hope was always that Kobe would sign for much less in order for us to get two stars alongside with him. Now, before Kobe's contract, the max amount of cap space the Lakers could have created was 46 million. Back then, Carmelo Anthony and LeBron's maxes would have only been around 20 million and 22 million, which is crazy to think about now, but it was very possible to get, you know, two max guys. Well, obviously, by November 2013, Mitch re-upped Kobe for two years, 48 million, thereby nuking that two max plan. From there, the Lakers really only had one max slot to offer a superstar tier free agent. Um, in 2014, it was LeBron as it was every year, but that was far-fetched. And then the only other guy was really Carmelo Anthony. 
But guys like Isaiah Thomas were also calling, and the Lakers didn't listen, passed on him. Lakers inevitably lost on Pau Gasol that summer as well. And, you know, they actually did end up making the most out of the situation by trading for Jeremy Lin and getting the pick that would eventually become Larry Nance. But they also did some weird stuff like re-sign Jordan Hill to a $9 million contract, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was great. Yep. And like you said, keep in mind, this is the roster heading into summer 2014. We had re-upped Kobe Bryant to the max contract. We had Nick Young, banged up Steve Nash, Ryan Kelly, Robert Sacre, and then the options to re-sign guys like Wesley Johnson, Jordan Hill, who we eventually did. That's the roster. Kobe, Nick Young, Nash, Ryan Kelly, Sacre, Wesley Johnson, maybe Jordan Hill. What max superstar player is going to want to sign with that, right? (laughs) And then to top it all off, Kobe got injured in December once he came back from the Achilles because he banged up his knee, right? So not only do you have a double max Kobe Bryant, but he got injured again. So now if I could go into 2015, which is also the other year where we, you know, kicked the can down the road and said, okay, well, let's carry this max plan over. This is the roster for 2015. Kobe Bryant, Nick Young. Okay, we got Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson. 2015, what superstar is going to want to play with that? Obviously, the option's a little bit better because you have Randle and Clarkson. Clarkson showed out a little bit. If you remember, summer 2015 was the infamous LaMarcus Aldridge debacle where it was leaked just how terrible our pitches were to superstars and how none of it was grounded in any actual basketball reality, but more on marketing and brand building ploys. So given that's the landscape of the summers of 2014 and summers of 2015 for this max plan, we now enter summer 2018. This is our context. Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Larry Nance, Zubats, possibly Randall. Um, KCP and Lopez will obviously be asterisks as well. They're, they're definitely going to be gone. KCP may potentially have a chance, but more specifically outside of those guaranteed players of promise, mainly Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kuzma, Larry Nance, we also have two max slots that we can create. So already we see a huge difference here in roster foundation with the, with what the Lakers are bringing to the table than those previous years in 2014-15, not the least of which obviously is an entire change in front office personnel and regime. So, Tommy, I'll let you start in terms of any points you want to bring up that are uh, both obvious and not obvious of, of what the differences here are. I'll start by saying... My first point is, uh, yeah, this is the first time the Lakers are actually going to legitimately have two maxes. Uh, and that's a huge point, you know, and they can legitimately get to that point. So star A can literally co- contact star B and concoct a plan to come to L.A. Obviously, that scenario with LeBron James and Paul George is is what's been bandied about. And that could possibly that could be a possibility. But there's also other guys in 2018 that will become free agents that have player options. DeMarcus Cousins, DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. And you can do any combination of those. You just really need one player to reach out to another and they can make that happen. So I don't know if you want to expound upon that, the two max plan, or if you want to add another scenario, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, it's just a completely different world because I think one thing they've been really smart about is understanding that if you really want to compete, it's not 
I mean, you need the two max, or in some cases, some teams do the three max system. You definitely need that. But the way you make that system really work is if you also have some rookies or guys on cheap contracts um, that come along with that. So, you know, you having a 20-year-old Brandon Ingram who's getting paid $5.5 million a year is so much more valuable than any other, you know, veteran player like that you can get that you would just sign as a free agent for five and a half million dollars a year. Like that's just one example. Like you also have the future flexibility that you can pitch to these free agents of like, we not only can we sign two of you to max contracts, but we don't even have to gut our team because we have so many young players that we can keep all of these young players as, as you guys remain on this team because we have all their bird rights. So it's just like the way that the cap is set up now, and and this just wasn't the case, that, you know, back at that time because uh, we besides Kobe, like at that time we were, you know, there was just a lot of uncertainty. Like, what are we going to do with Pau Gasol? What are we going to do? You know, you mentioned like, I mean, Sacre is like a ridiculous example because he's terrible, but there there was uh there were like other other players that we were thinking of, you know, potentially like, what are we going to do with this guy? It wasn't so cut and dry as like these are for sure our guaranteed contracts and the guys we're going to keep. And on top of that, we can add two people with literally losing nobody. You know, that's even like more flexibility than even like the Boston Celtics had this past summer with Gordon Hayward. Like they had to get rid of some key pieces to be able to sign Gordon Hayward. You know, on the surface, it just seems like, oh, they signed Gordon Hayward. Great. Okay. But they also had to get rid of Avery Bradley for basically nothing because Marcus Morris on that team is not going to provide a whole lot. So it, it, it just, yeah, I think our two max setup is, is really good. And, and other than that, I, I don't have a ton to add on, on what you said. I how think about, that, how like about you, we, yeah, go so ahead. I have a, a list here and we can go down the line. So two max, the fact that we can actually two maxes is one. Second one I wanted to bring up was what do you think about the actual assets and roster construction? Because I feel like this roster is more, and you mentioned it a little bit, talking about Brandon Ingram and cheap contracts, but in totality, we are more built up and ready to be consolidated. Even with the players on the roster, I feel like they complement stars. You know, Lonzo Ball complements a LeBron James and a Paul George. Uh, Brandon Ingram could be kind of questionable, you know, because all of those guys are wings, and I don't know if we've ever seen a three-wing lineup like that, but it has been the case where, you know, you have Michael Jordans and Scottie Pippen, so it's still manageable, and Paul George has played shooting guard before. But even, even with regards to that, you know, I feel like our roster is set up to just be filled by superstars. You know, Lonzo Ball's never going to be that 25 point 30 point score but what he is is a culture changer who help and who who gets better when he has better players around him you know so for me like just looking at the roster construction it's almost kind of perfect essentially and even if it's not that's not to say that we can't trade some of the pieces to help um lebron or demarcus cousins or paul george out as well because we do have attractive assets the only problem with that is these guys aren't making that much money yet so it's going to be hard to trade for other players and match salaries that way you know it would almost have to be like you'd have to trade brandon ingram for a, a better fitting player who's still young you know like a devin booker or something like that you know what i mean but but even with that said we have the perfect roster construction to not only play on-court basketball with two stars, but also in, in the worst-case scenario to to trade around and consolidate as well. So I don't know if you have anything else to add to that. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And 
not only do we have a lot of them, but we have like a lot of versatile young players. So you're looking at like this crop of future free agents and it's like, we kind of haven't, when we've talked about on the show, like who are the ones that we would target if it was, if like we were behind it. Um, and you know, you just add to that, like, okay, well, you see some wings on the, on the, on the list. You see some bigs on the list. You see like a guard on the list of, of potential max players, but you have on your team, Alonzo ball, a guard who can play both guard positions like easily. Like he's six, six. Um, I think he even measured at six, seven with, at the Lakers camp. I want to yeah. say, um, so he's a big guard. He could play either guard position. Um, Brandon Ingram, he can play three or four or like, you hope in the future one day, even potentially some small ball five, because he's six, nine with a seven, three wingspan. Like those measurements compare favorably to a guy like Draymond green. Obviously he doesn't have the strength, but in terms of just pure length, you can at least even at this point in his career, I think you can count on him to play three for sure. And even a little bit of four. And even because he's like still so like uh, skinny, he can play some two for you, you know, in some lineups. So you have versatile players like that. You have Kuzma who's shown he can kind of play like three through five. You have Larry Nance Jr. Who could play four and five. Like these are a lot of, besides just having some young talent, um, you have young versatile talent. So when you say like, it's perfect, it really is perfect in the sense that you can sign any combination of any two of these guys and it would work. Like I know we just drafted a point guard. If we signed Russell Westbrook, our roster as currently constructed would still work. You know, I obviously there would be a different con- discussion about would Westbrook fit in with this kind of team, but it, in terms of can that roster go on the floor and compete? Yes, because Westbrook can defend point guards, Lonzo Ball can play the two offense offensively and defense offensively, and and you just have so much versatility. Yeah, agree. And then my next point would be obviously. New regime. You got Rob Palinka, who just from this offseason alone, even though we doubted the D'Angelo Russell thing, but quickly came to the realization, oh, this is kind of a move that needed to be made uh, before a lot of thi- before a lot of the other pieces had to fall into place. That this is just a guy who knows how to communicate with the rest of the league, and that's kind of bore itself out. Now, does that mean does that mean we're for sure going to get LeBron James and, and Paul George? No, but he's at least definitely. Um, opening up that door with no questions about it, you know, where Mitch Kupchak was saying, we're going to have max cap space, and then he signs Kobe Bryant. There's not going to be any sort of obstacles like that where Palinka will, I don't think, pull the rug out from underneath us, you know, unless he does something weird like re-ups KCP to one of those max slots or whatever, you know. But given that, yeah, do you want to talk about the new regime and what you've seen so far and how Palinka and Magic could potentially change that as well? Yeah, so in terms of the new regime, and I guess this this is like another difference from uh, the last time we had or potentially had a couple max slots. Um, Magic and Rob Palenka, they seem to strike a good balance between playing it conservative but being aggressive when they have to be aggressive. And I say that because Mitch was like the ultimate conservative. Like, unless he knew he was winning a trade, he wasn't going to make that trade. Um, and that's, that's like not necessarily a bad quality for a GM to have, you know, a lot of people would say that's actually a really good quality, but I think that one downside of that is there has to be some degree of risk taking. Um, and Rob Palenka and Magic Johnson, I think when they, for example, made this D'Angelo Russell trade, that was a big risk. It's, you know, you're, you're getting back, um, 
an unclear return, which is you you did this trade to clear cap space, and you have no idea what that cap space is going to bring you. But this was your pretty much your only chance to do it. You had to do it this year. You had to try to if you were going to use a guy like D'Angelo to get rid of Timothy Mozgov, you had to do it before you committed to drafting a point guard because. Once you make that commitment to draft a point guard, it's like you can argue that other teams are going to try to, you know, play a little more hardball because they're going to think, okay, well, you don't even need this point guard anyway, so we're going to make you pay a little bit more. You know, not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but it's it seems to strike to me to me to strike a good balance of of risk taking and and not risk taking, which I think is leads into my second point, which is. That's something you can pitch, and these guys seem like they are way more in tune with what players want to hear in pitches. Um, Magic Johnson is extremely charismatic, uh, as we all know. Rob Palenka seems like a very charismatic guy, and is ex- he just is like a very keen businessman. And and not to say like, oh, this guy's an ass kisser, but <laughs> look. To be that successful of a business guy, you have to know whose ass needs to be kissed from time to time right. and and how to do it um, and how to do it in a way that doesn't come off as like, you know, in, in some ways you could say like, oh, if, you, if you're like too, if you're too grandiose about somebody, it might come off as like almost a little bit demeaning because it's like clearly this person doesn't deserve all this praise. So like, why are you giving it type of thing? But he he figures out a way to strike a really good balance of being like super flattering and this is just coming out in press conferences so imagine what's going on behind the scenes you know i think because of his agent experience or his experience as an agent i should say he he seems to know what these players are looking for what other agents are looking for and he seems to like focus his pitches on that type of thing and and uh you know says what they want to hear and like knows how to identify certain things that players are interested in marketing about themselves. Like, and these are all things that I think are going to help us in, um, in our pitches when it comes to next summer. And, and, on, and on top of it, I think savviness is a, is a appropriate word to use for Palinka as well, because like we've talked about before, Mitch Kupchak was very by the book, you know, in terms of how he approached free agency would not contact anyone else before the 12 AM, you know, start of free agency, Rob Palinka, you know, is, already working the phones way before that, presumably. And it's, it's kind of shown itself to be that way. I, I'm, I'm also assuming that the Lakers were afforded that patience because they knew kind of who was interested, who wasn't, what was going to be out there, who was going to be snatched up quickly, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of looked at the overlay of free, the market and was like, there's going to be a lot of guys left over here. So I think I like the new savviness that Palinka brings. Um, another point would be, and this is a big one. There's no specter of Kobe here. Whoever comes in will be the face or at least face 1A of the Lakers, you know, whether that's LeBron, whether that's Paul George, um, whether DeMarcus Cousins has to be 1A. It doesn't matter. Like you will literally be like one of the main faces without having to worry about Kobe's shadow. Um, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't know if you have anything else to add on that point. Yeah, pretty self-explanatory, but a very big point because it's now you're like you said, you're not second fiddle to Kobe. You're your own your own team, you know, your own, you're making your own legacy and you can sort of pander to like the post Kobe crowd because enough time has passed now where it's like, I mean, I know it's only been like one full season, but well, at that point it will have been two full seasons, but Kobe's last year was really like a retirement tour. And even the year before that, it was just like the signs were all pointing towards like, this is the end. So enough time has passed from prime Kobe that 
you can start to like play that to your advantage a little bit and be like, okay, well, this is like us bringing you back what Kobe was trying to bring you, you know, or like brought you in the past. So uh, I think you can kind of even use that to your advantage in a way. Yep, for sure. Okay, so my last point is if we're just looking at the superstar guys who are set to be free agents, if we're looking at their contextual situations, it's pretty crazy. And, and here, here's what I'm talking about. From the superstar's perspective, LeBron, things are perfectly lining up with regards to calamity in Cleveland. Kyrie Irving wants out, wants to be his own man. LeBron James has already talked about how, you know, or not talked about, but so many subliminal messages about LA, his production company that he wants to get up and going, uh, Space Jam 2, entertainment opportunities, him being very lukewarm about his commitments to Cleveland, Cleveland undergoing that GM shift and like all that turmoil, LeBron not being happy with David Griffin being ousted. LeBron's contextual situation is perfectly lined up for if he's going to leave, nobody is going to question it or be blindsided by that. Paul George, LA kid, Finally going to be a free agent. He's pretty much said, I want to be a Laker. Nobody trade for me. Even though he did get traded, it was to, it's going to be to OKC with one of the most high usage ball dominant players ever who already had one superstar wing leave him. And it's in freaking OKC. You know, no matter what Paul George says, he's going to try his best and he's going to, you know, definitely play his heart out for the rabid fans in OKC. But it, at the end of the day, it's still OKC. Still. Bad weather there, not much to do, et cetera, et cetera. And who knows how his chemistry is going to be with Russell Westbrook. So from Paul George's end, context, prime and ready for him walking to the Lakers. DeAndre Jordan, who knows what happens with Chris Paul gone, right? It's going to be Blake Griffin. And what if Blake Griffin gets hurt again? Right. You're going to have Danilo Gallinari and Patrick Beverly. Nah, man, I'll stay in LA, but I'll go to the Lakers and catch lobs from Lonzo Ball. Even that you could stretch and say, hey, could line up because the Clippers just underwent a massive shift. DeMarcus Cousins, does he want to be known as Anthony Davis's big man sidekick in a strange out-of-vogue Twin Towers lineup that is no longer present in the league, right. you know? We don't know how that pairing is going to work at, for a full season. And given the fact that they didn't really improve their roster, what, they got Rajon Rondo and Ian Clark? Like, how good is New Orleans really going to be? Is DeMarcus Cous- would DeMarcus Cousins want to be known as Anthony Davis' sidekick, or would he rather be the prime big man in L.A. alongside Paul George or LeBron James, you know? So even even DeMarcus Cousins' situation. So for me, just the sup- individual superstar's context, in all respects, it's almost like lightning in a bottle here in terms of if there was ever a time for these guys to leave their current teams, sounds like 2018, you know what I mean? So I don't know if you had anything else to add to that. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think in 2016, or whenever it was last, sorry, not 2016, um, whatever that year was that I keep talking about with the Kobe year, uh, I feel like for a lot of these guys, we almost have to force the narrative. And maybe, you know, hindsight here will be 2022, and it'll also be the case that we're like, okay, well, maybe we force the narrative a little bit in some of these, and some for some of these guys, but... I think you're right that the stars are aligning. Like LeBron James is entering, you know, the the last stage of his career, uh, and like you said, there's a lot of uh, dis- there's a lot of discord in Cleveland, and it seems like he kind of wants out, um, or it seems like not the, currently that he wants out, but it's you could see a path for him to you know remove himself from there. And same thing with Paul George; he was like pretty much saying, "I want to go to L.A." So, uh. It just, it is weird. It is weird that like there's all these guys who are not only going to be free agents, but 
could potentially be on the move. The one, the one guy I'll disagree with you a little bit on is uh, DeAndre Jordan because I feel like guys like that, especially at that stage in their career, like certain guys like Paul George, who've led their t- or even Russell Westbrook um, or LeBron James, you know, back before he had won championships, like. You were a leader of a team for so long. You were an MVP candidate some years. You were, you know, all NBA first, second team candidate many years. You want to, your next step is like, you're not about personal glory. You know, you're moving past like the money to a certain extent, as we saw with Kevin Durant. You're, you're worrying about like your career legacy and you're more concerned about that stuff. It's like, you know, all that other stuff is going to be there at some at some level. So you're starting to more think about your career legacy. And for a guy like DeAndre Jordan, though, I feel like he's at the stage in his career because he's never been that type of guy. I just don't see him as being a, like, let me go, try to win a championship. I think he will take the most money that is offered to him. So if the Clippers offer him a full max with his bird rights, he will take that. So that's like the one guy I'll kind of disagree on a little bit. But other than that, I think sure. he pretty much nailed it. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, he's gonna able to be avail of that two max superstar money. So that and that's a huge thing. But yeah, you know, with regards to DeAndre, the only stretch I'd make is like, you know, is Patrick Beverly a great guy to set him up? You know, I mean, right. I guess Blake Griffin is, but just in terms of my last point would be Lonzo Ball, right? Just the culture shift that we've been able to see. If the Lakers win 35, 40 games this season and just see the way that Lonzo Ball on his own is able to run a team, see the potential from Brandon Ingram. Man, it could be a perfect aligning of the stars, like you said. And much in the same way that we had this discussion about, you know, a lot of times, regardless of of how much you plan, uh, the execution of your inevitable plan is just going to require a whole ton of luck and unforeseen extenuating circumstances to fall your way that you didn't necessarily plan for, right? And my point of all this and bringing all this up is that it feels like all those things have happened, things that we couldn't have planned for. You, I mean, you plan to the best of your ability, right? And that's what Rob Palinka is doing. Let me free up two max cap space. And everything else is just so ha- is just lucking into place. And I think now, after two years of failing at that plan and undergoing four years of unplanned rebuild, things have finally lined up for the Lakers to actually re-enter this plan, execute it aggressively, and who knows, Fritz actually work. And while it may give us some PTSD here, here and there... Um, my continual phrase that I'll keep saying is, if there was ever a time to do it, it would be now. It would almost be foolish for Rob Palinka not to try and free up max cap space, right? So I think even looking at the D'Angelo Russell trade retrospectively, it would be foolish for him not to free up two max cap spaces if that opportunity presented itself. And given all this weird stuff happening with all the free agents or about to be free agents, it feels like it's definitely reaching that bottleneck flash in the pan kind of moment for the Lakers and they are ripe and prime for the taking. So with that said, obviously we're not, we're, we're not here. If someone this is the first time someone's listening to our podcast, they're like, Oh my God, these freaking homers wearing these rose colored purple and gold glasses. That's not what we're trying to say. We're just saying given our failures in the past and get looking at the context objectively. If there was ever a time for it to work, it would be summer 2018. That's not to say we think for sure we're getting LeBron and Paul George or even two of these guys. At the end of the day, look, we may have to punt one space or whatever. Maybe we only get one of these guys and then we have to re-sign Brooke Lopez or KCP and for another one-year deal and then we look to 2019. That could definitely be a possibility. We're just saying if there was ever a time to get two guys and for this plan to work, it might be now. So, Tommy, I don't know if you have any last words or anything like that. No, I think you I think you got it. 
Cool. Two max superstar plan, baby. It's two lit. Max. We doing this. Save the cap space. Cap space better. Trust the cap space. <laughs> All right. With that said, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. That'll do it for this episode. Once again, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how excited Lonzo Ball's going to get all year by just going, cool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, rate and review us on iTunes. Also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Donate a dollar or whatever, 50 cents, whatever you can do. It'll help out a great deal. So with that said, thank you guys for listening and we will catch you later. Tommy. Later. Peace. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.